Psalm 46. Uh, Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold, the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Let's seek this, the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to You once again that as we come before You and we read Your word, we just rejoice and give thanks to you for the great gift that your word is to us. How it gives us great comfort and assurance and hope. How it instructs us in our lives and how it even corrects us and guides us and convicts us that we might walk in faith with you. And so we just pray, Father, that you would bless uh, this uh, these words, this uh, passage, and uh, just uh, as we discuss this topic this evening, we just would ask that you would truly be, uh, give us insight by the power of your Spirit that we might be not only comforted, but strengthened in our faith and build up to be faithful witnesses for your glory. Father, we pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Psalm 46 is one of the great psalms of comfort uh, to sing and meditate upon during times of trouble and and uncertainty. Whenever the earth is quaking or the wind and the waves are roaring, or even when the enemy surrounds and assaults unabated. Whatever the catastrophe, whatever the trouble, even if the whole earth was in an uproar, This psalm directs us to the important truth of God's sovereignty. In verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and above all the earth. In other words, no matter what's happening or or how chaotic and out of control things seem to be, God is still sovereignly in control. And so we're not to be overcome with, with fear or dread. We're not to panic and run around like crazed lunatics. And we're not to wring our hands in anxious worry. But we're to remember that God is God. That He's in control. And that even in the midst of that trouble, that He's working out His plan and His purpose for our good and His glory. 
Well, the working out of God's plan and purpose, even in the midst of all these troubles, all that God has predestined beforehand to happen, this working out of God's plan is often referred to as the work of His providence. In God's providence, all things that happen, happen in accord with His perfect plan. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 5, paragraph 1, notes that God, the great creator of, uh, of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible foreknowledge, and the free immutable counsel of His own will, to the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Now, we've considered before God's decrees and His foreknowledge. And providence is how God accomplishes what He has determined beforehand to do. And He does this through upholding, directing, disposing, and governing all things. We also see that God's providence works towards the purpose of His plan, His overall plan, to ultimately bring glory to Himself. And so God upholds, He directs, He disposes, and He governs all creations. And sometimes we talk about the providential hand of God that accomplishes these things and brings about in time what He has decreed in eternity past. For example, in Hebrews 1, verse 3, who being, this is talking about Jesus actually, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. That's Jesus, the Son of God, upholding all things by the word of His power. When He laid, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So God, and especially the Son, God the Son, Jesus, our Savior, upholds all things by the word of His power. He is the Word of God who became flesh. He is the one who is upholding all things. That is, as God has decreed, all things are upheld in the very manner that He has spoken and purposed. And so as we think about how this providence works out, and how uh, the Lord is upholding all things, we acknowledge that, for example, that the earth on which we live, this planet, is not spinning on its own. God is the one who moves it. God is the one who keeps it in that perfectly balanced position that's not too close to the sun, where we would be burned up, and it's not too far from the sun, where we would freeze. But it's in that perfect position. And the revolutions of the earth around the sun are perfectly set so that we can determine days and months and years and seasons and even the precise timing of the low and the high tides along the coastlines. The laws of nature, example, the law of gravity and attraction, cause and effect, and the forces of nature, wind, water, and the earth, and the storms that they all stir up, all these are under the sovereign control of God, and thus they are part of His providential work sustaining all things. God provides the rain and the snow that replenishes the earth and fills the streams, the rivers, the lakes, and the oceans. He also, and that, of course, that water is used to 
uh, to not only replenish the, the earth, but to uh, give drink for the, the waters and uh, for the creatures and for the plants so that they grow, so that they can be used for food. God is the one who is sustaining all these things. He provides the sunshine. Again, that causes things to grow and that, that warms the creatures. God is the one who is working out His providential plan and this is how he's doing it, by sustaining all that he has created. But not only does God providentially guide these big things, <clears throat> but even the little things, like a sparrow falling from the sky, or even a hair of your head falling to the ground. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Are not the two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so God's, God sovereignly rules and acts to bring about His glory, even in these small, seemingly insignificant ways and events. And again, that's all uh, in, related to His work of providence. <clears throat> well, there are essentially two ways that God works out His providence. God can either work directly out of, uh, out of His immutable and, and infallible decree, that is, God is the first cause, or He can also use the principle of second causes in order to accomplish His perfect plan. And so, for example, the creation of the world out of nothing is an example of God accomplishing His decree as a first cause. That is, God spoke and it was created. In Psalm 33, we read this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the water of the seas together as a heap. He lays up the deep in, in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And so there, God is the one who was the first cause in creating all things by the word of His power. But there are times when God will accomplish His purpose and, and decree by using secondary means. In this, He providentially guides the actions of others in order to bring about His perfect plan. And of course, a classic example of this in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph and his brothers. Remember that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and this was truly an evil and wicked deed. And yet God, through many various uh, ups and downs, brought Joseph to a position of power in Egypt. And then, of course, many years later, his brothers uh, and his father were looking for uh, food and comfort during the time of a great famine. And they go to Egypt, and Joseph reveals himself to them. Well, then after their father Jacob died, of course, the brothers got a little anxious. How is Joseph going to react? Is he going to finally now take out his vengeance for the evil that we did? But that's not what happens. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And so here the brothers had, had hatched this evil plot to many years before to sell Joseph, and that was evil. <clears throat> and yet, God used their sinful actions in order to now, at this point, even save their very lives by 
uh, raising up Joseph to the, this point of prominence in, in the land of Egypt. Well, another instance of God accomplishing his plan through secondary means, and even using the sinful actions of men to do it, of course, is the crucifixion and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember that God had planned and purpose before the foundation of the world that Jesus, the Son of God, would be once for all sacrificed for His people. And yet God brought that about by using the wicked deeds of Judas, of the Sanhedrin, of Pilate, all to accomplish this. And Peter lays this bare in Acts 4. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So God had it had the plan and the purpose, and He used the evil and the sinful actions of these men and their supporters to carry it out. So either way, whether it's God as the primary cause or the secondary cause, God's will is always accomplished and His work of providence continues. And the Confession of Faith, paragraph uh, <clears throat> uh, 3, notes this, God in His ordinary providence makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them. So God is able to use first causes or secondary causes, but He also, in His working out His province, He is, is to free to bring this about in any way that He desires. Well, basically, this is making a distinction between what we call the ordinary means of God's providence and the special means of God's providence. An example of the ordinary means of God's providence is the changing of the seasons and the weather. God establishes this fact after the flood, making the promise in Genesis 8, while the earth remains seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And these, of course, are ordinary means. God causes rain to water the earth, again, causing plants to grow, and then these plants bear fruit and the fruit is harvested for food. That's the ordinary working out of God's providence in the world, how He sustains things happening in the world. But, God isn't restricted to these ordinary means. God can use special means that may even work without, that is, without those uh, things that He's put in place. They can work above them or even against those ordinary means. When God does this, we usually refer to it as a miracle. right? God intervening and momentarily disrupting the ordinary process of things in order, again, to accomplish His will. And there can certainly be many examples of this. The flood was an extraordinary event uh, that um, was not an ordinary means, by any means. Uh, Jesus, of course, calming the wind and the sea and turning uh, water into wine. That was not the ordinary means, and yet working against the ordinary means and above those ordinary means, God's purpose was still accomplished. There's other examples. For example, in Joshua 10, the Israelites are, are in battle against the, the Amorites, and the day is getting late, and they're kind of close to victory. And Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. And that's exactly what happened. The day was 
miraculously extended. The ordinary means is the day, you know, this, this earth rotates around the sun and the day has a, a certain amount of time. Well, here God stops that rotation in order that the sun, uh, the sun appeared to stand still. Uh, again, related to the sun in 2 Kings 20, Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. And this was to be a sign that, uh, that the prophet, uh, that the, pro- the prophecy had made about uh, the coming judgment was going to happen. He makes the, the sun go back 10 degrees. Again, the ordinary cycle of things, this goes against that. Uh, and then even, again, at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in Luke 23, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. So, during the time when Jesus was there dying on the cross, the whole darkness fell upon the whole earth. Now usually when there's a, an eclipse, it's only part of the earth. But here, this again, going against the uh, ordinary means of things, God works this great miracle uh, to demonstrate uh, judgment falling upon His Son for the sins of His people. One other of God's, and so miracles are a special means of God's uh, uh, working out His providence. <clears throat> Another of God's special providence has to do with redemption. The bestow of God's grace. And we think about that in a sense, God miraculously intervenes to turn a sinful man toward himself, bringing a dead man back to life. Spiritually dead man back to life. That is a work of God's special providence. But there's a difficult point here as well. Because if God providentially brings all things to come to pass, that means that God's providence was also involved in the fall. And here in paragraph 4 of chapter 5, the confession notes, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in His providence that extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and that not only by a bare permission, but such as joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding, and otherwise ordering and governing of them, in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends, yet so as the sinfulness thereof proceeds only from the creature and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. So here we see that God directs and guides even the sinful actions of men, yet in such a way that man is still held responsible and God is not the author of sin. Again, we go back to, for example, the crucifixion of Jesus. Those were, they were held responsible for that sin, and yet it was part of God's plan and purpose to save His people. And so we have examples, other examples, of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, and yet in other passages, Pharaoh is hardening his own heart. Or David is moved by God to enumerate the Israelites in 2 Samuel, but the same event is recorded in 1 Chronicles as saying that Satan attempted David to this sin. Well, we already mentioned Judas, Pilate, and the Jews. All, again, were culpable for their sin, and yet God works through their sin to accomplish His predetermined purpose. Now, certainly this is one of the, of the great mysteries of God. 
And why Paul concludes in uh, Romans 11, saying, For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And so these are, again, various uh, the working out of God's providence. And ultimately, again, it, it uh, is a great mystery. There are many things that we know about it, especially the ordinary means, but some of these extraordinary means in which God is using to work out His providences are a great mystery to us. Well, there are various uh, implications for this doctrine of the providence of God that apply to all mankind, and then some which apply specifically to unbelievers and then to believers. To all mankind, we first see that the providence of God is in direct opposition to any theory of creation by random chance, by evolutionary process over millions of years, or any other process other than the actions of God. This also further instructs us that there is no such thing as luck or chance, that all things happen according to God's purpose through His providence. In Proverbs 16, verse 33, we see that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision from, is from the Lord. So something that we think is just very random, casting a lot or casting a die, its uh, decision is from the Lord. God sovereignly has purposed and planned and providentially works that out. In Amos 3, verse 6, we read this, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And so here, even, you see that the natural disasters uh, that sometimes happen are not acts of random natural forces, but they're moved by the very hand of God, often for purposes and reasons that we may never fully know. And the testimony also emphasizes the doctrine of God's providence, uh, which ultimately um, calls for, uh, reminds us that gambling uh, is a sin. Gambling is a sin against God because it denies His providential care and increases dependence on the erroneous notion of luck or chance. It involves and encourages greed and the desire to get something for nothing at the expense of others. Its satanic character is demonstrated in the way it obsesses in the individual. And then after listing several examples, we read this, The church should testify against the dependence of public agencies on revenues derived from gambling sources. And so the idea of gambling is condemned in the scriptures because for the very reason that it denies the work of God's providences and encourages people not to trust in God, but to trust in these false sense notions of luck or chance. And of course, gambling is not only destructive to the gambler in the lives of their friends, but again, the very premise of it is based on the denial of God's providence. Well, divine providence has specific implications for the unbeliever. Uh, Though God withholds His grace and mercy from the wicked, it is their own sinfulness that binds them to the truth and hardens their heart, or blinds them to the truth and hardens their hearts. 
Now God may even at times withdraw from them the gifts that He has given to them, that is, He may remove His restraining hand and allows them to be exposed to such objects as their corruption makes occasion of sin, and withal give them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world, and the power of Satan, whereby it comes to pass that they harden themselves even under those means which God uses for the softening of others. And so here we see a couple of things kind of reflective of Romans 1, where people um, subvert the truth of God that they know, and they, um, they suppress it, and then God gives them over and uh, removes even whatever gifts and uh, blessings of His common grace that He has bestowed upon them as a judgment against them. But also we see that that even if they're, uh, they may be further hardened, even if they're making use and sitting under the means of grace which God uses to soften others. And so basically some will hear the gospel time and time again and yet never re- truly respond in faith. While others seated right next to them may hear the same message and they will be softened and drawn all according to God's plan and purpose. Alas, the judgment upon these will be greater than those who have never heard the gospel truth. And of course, Jesus points this out in Matthew 10. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so again, those who uh, are privileged to hear the blessing of the gospel and yet harden their hearts against it, Uh, will receive greater condemnation in the judgment than those who have never heard the gospel proclaimed. Well, finally, to the believer, there are also some special applications of this doctrine. Again, the testimony notes that God's providence should lead the believer to be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity, resting confidently in his Lord. He is to seek to understand the meaning and purpose of God's dealing with him in the light of the word of God. And so when things happen, we don't understand it. We need to be patient. We need to look to the word of God in order to help us understand what God is doing in our lives. I'm reminded here ultimately of Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so the Christian can be confident that even during times of affliction, suffering, persecution, trials, and even struggles with sin, that these will lead to the purpose of their being formed and fashioned in the likeness of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, we may not understand it. And in fact, very often we don't understand it. But we must trust that God who created all things is able to control, sustain, and preserve all that He has created. The mystery, this, the mystery to us, as uncomfortable as it is for us, is wondering why God does what He does and why He allows what He allows. Well, ultimately, as finite creatures, we can't fully comprehend, comprehend the mind and the thoughts of an infinite God. And so we then must be content with the truth that He's revealed to us in His Word, the promises that He's given, and uh, the insights that He's given about Himself, and the revelation of His character and His being. But we also just need to simply trust Him, and to be still, and to remember that He is God, to the glory and to the praise of His holy name. Let's pray. 
Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your great work of providence and how you truly sustain all things that you have created, that whatever happens doesn't happen by random chance or or luck or karma or any of these uh, things or just blind fate, but all things happen and you have a plan and a purpose in it. Ultimately, that plan and purpose is, is to bring about our good, but especially to bring glory to you. And Lord, there's often many things that happen that we just do not understand and we don't know what, that, what your plan and purpose is in that, the immediate sense. And at those times we pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace and the strength to trust you, to look to your word, to rely upon the power and the strength of your spirit and your grace that we might be guided and that we might just simply rest in you knowing that ultimately you will work out all things for our good and for your glory. And so we thank you, Lord, for being reminded of these things on this day. And especially as we go forward in this week that lies ahead and we are mindful of the, just, the different activities that we need to uh, be doing this week. And especially as we gather together with our families and various places to remember to give thanks to you. Our nation even pauses to to give thanks. We pray that it would be a true acknowledgement of your grace and that they would truly turn their hearts to you on that day. And so, Father, we just pray that you now watch over us and bless us as we go from this place until we return again on the next Lord's Day. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.